Former President Donald Trump turning himself in in Georgia today. The timeline and what was said about the former president in last night's GOP debate. An extraordinary update in our drought conditions, but also some scattered rain returning in first warning weather. And building the Central Texas job market, the donation that will help get more trade workers in the area. Well, we're starting this evening with a live look at the Fulton County Jail in Atlanta, Georgia, where former President Donald Trump is soon expected to surrender to authorities. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Daniel Marine. And I'm Jennifer Sanders, a former president facing more than a dozen charges accused of trying to overturn election results in Georgia after losing his 2020 bid to stay in the White House. Now, this is the fourth in a string of indictments against the former president. NBC's Jay Gray has a closer look at what's expected to happen happen when Trump arrives. A show of force growing along with the crowd's intention outside the Fulton County Jail right now. This is the best circus in town. Uh, why not be here? Former President Donald Trump expected to surrender this afternoon, facing more than a dozen felony charges, including racketeering and conspiracy for his alleged efforts to overturn results in the 2020 presidential election in Georgia. It's horrible when you look and, and you look at what they're doing. Mr. Trump denying all the allegations, claiming this and three other indictments in separate cases are all politically motivated. The people see it's a fraud. The people see it like this horrible district attorney. An opinion echoed by dozens of supporters gathered here. Yes, he's being persecuted. How many, uh, he's, he, they tried to impeach him twice. Now they, they tried to indict him four times. You know, they're trying to eliminate him from the ballot box. While a handful outside the jail see the charges a bit differently. He's a rat, and he's a rat, and I know a rat when I see one, because I'm from New York. Once inside the facility, Mr. Trump will be read his rights, fingerprinted. He'll likely stand for a mugshot. Then, after posting a $200,000 bond, he'll be free to leave. Jay Gray, NBC News, Atlanta. And several of those indicted in the case, including the former president, have asked for a speedy trial. Today, Fulton County DA Fannie Willis requested an October 23rd start date for all 19 defendants. And all of this just one day after the first Republican presidential primary debate in which Trump did not take part. And the question today, did the opportunity to see the candidates square off on important issues, including former President Trump's legal troubles, change voters' minds? NBC's Alice Barr works to find that answer. Off the stage, but on message, Republican presidential candidates trying to seize momentum from last night's fiery first primary debate. The more you interrupt, the more time you get, but frankly, the more that helps Joe Biden. With the GOP frontrunner, former President Trump choosing to skip the event, citing his sizable lead, rivals stepped into the vacuum. Entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy drawing the most attacks. I took it as a badge of honor. And demonstrating his own combative style. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. Former Vice President Mike Pence racked up the most speaking time. The American people will have a champion for life. While former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley landed punches aimed more at the general election. I am unapologetically pro-life, not because
because the Republican Party tells me to be. Having said that, we need to stop demonizing this issue. Former President Trump, who launched a competing interview, did not dominate the discussion, but his legal troubles loomed, with all but two of the candidates saying they would support him even if he were convicted. The former president turning himself in today in Atlanta on charges he tried to illegally overturn Georgia's 2020 election results. Some voters are ready to move on. It's looking likely that we may be having a Trump-Biden rematch. How does that sound to you? It doesn't sound very good at all. I think we're all fighting and I don't like the fighting. As a contentious night kicked off the battle for the White House. In Washington, Alice Barr, NBC News. All right, to the weather now, and today the state's power grid operator, ERCOT, is asking you to conserve power until 10 p.m. if it's safe for you to do so. This is due to the extreme heat, continued near-record demand, and forecasted low wind power generation. Now, the forecasts are showing a high potential to enter emergency operations this evening. You can see the grid conditions right there on ERCOT's website. And now turning to our the drought conditions, we have an update on that. All of a sudden, it's starting to look like 2011 out there, which Ooh. you guys remember was one of our worst statewide droughts in history. Look at our weekly drought monitor update just out today from the folks at the U.S. Drought Monitor. The area of the state under this worst exceptional drought has gone from 1% last week to 11% this week. Just to give you an idea of what this means, they classify this as widespread and severe water shortages, severe tree mortality, wildlife population suffering, uh, lake levels near historic lows. This is a really, really serious drought classification. Obviously, it's affecting our fire danger as well. Taking you out to the lakes where Lake Travis is down another inch today. It's been falling a foot a week at times this summer. 103 on the Oasis weather cam. We've got a lot of clouds popping up. These little popcorn uh, images on the satellite, but not a lot of rain. We do have a slight 10% chance of a sprinkle. One of these popping up just south of Lampasas, well northwest of Austin. Coming up, though, we've got 40% chances of rain and a cool front. I'll show you when that arrives next. All right, David, thank you very much. An Austin nonprofit got a big donation today from Samsung Austin Semiconductor. It's an effort to bolster the local workforce as construction work continues at the plant. And KXAN's Mercedes Hernandez learned from experts in the field what the Texas job market really needs right now. A big check brought out big applause after Samsung Austin Semiconductor gave SkillPoint Alliance a $40,000 check. There's a tremendous need for um, the, in the manufacturing industry for talent. Kevin Brackmeyer is the CEO of SkillPoint Alliance. It's an Austin-based nonprofit that gives people free training for trade skills like plumbing, electric work, and manufacturing. He says demand for workers in these fields has grown rapidly in recent years. All of our classes are full. Um, electrical and HVAC as well um, has, has been really significant. Employers are hiring them right out of the, out of the class. They're coming in and meeting with them during class. Some of them are off with offers in hand. Aaron Demerson is the commissioner for Texas Workforce Commission. He says building a strong workforce in the state is his main concern. We want to make sure that at the end of the day, there's not a Texas business leaving our state because they can't find the skilled labor force. This donation comes a year before Samsung's semiconductor plant in Taylor is expected to be up and running. 2024 is just right around the corner. Michelle Glaze with Samsung says the company will need more skilled workers when that happens. We have 4,500 employees over at Samsung Austin Semiconductor, and when we open our Taylor facility, we'll have 2,000 jobs there. In Austin, Mercedes Hernandez, KXAN News. 
And going in depth, Taylor ISD has partnered with Samsung to offer incoming high school seniors summer internships with the company. The district says the program is growing in popularity. Samsung takes 24 students to work in the program. And it's not all about tech. The internship also provides opportunities for students to learn from other areas of the company, such as government relations. Applications open up in the second semester of the school year. Limiting eminent domain, how this vote by the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission will impact a recently shuttered state park. Are you feeling sick lately or do you need to treat yourself to a day off? A lot of your fellow workers feel the same way. We're going to tell you about the nation's unofficial sick day. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission voted today to limit its future use of eminent domain. The department, as we've told you, is currently using the process to try and acquire the former Fairfield Lake State Park from a private developer. The policy says eminent domain authority will be limited in the future to exceptional and unusual circumstances. Commissioners defined that as when property was previously dedicated to public park use and the property owner rejects an offer to sell or gift the land to the state. They say Fairfield Lake falls under exceptional and unusual circumstances. The commission says moving forward when deciding whether to use eminent domain, it will consider things like public investment and support, as well as resources on the property and the number of visitors. As for what is next for Fairfield Lake, you can check out this story at KXAN.com. Ahead on NBC Nightly News, wastewater from a nuclear disaster is now flowing into the Pacific Ocean. It's been 12 years since an earthquake and tsunami devastated Japan's Fukushima nuclear plant. And NBC News went there this week, and you can see the town is still deserted. Although some people are allowed back, much of the area still isn't considered safe. Since the nuclear disaster, Japan has been treating radioactive water from the plant, but now there's no more room to store it. So it's slowly being released into the ocean. It's a process that will take 30 to 40 years. Tonight, NBC's Janice Mackey Freyer speaks with scientists as well as fishermen to hear firsthand about their safety concerns. All right, well, tonight is the 22nd annual Taco Shack Bowl. We're going to check in with Roger Wallace, who is live ahead of tonight's showdown at House Park. And those isolated showers have not hit Austin. Another dry day during a very dry couple months. We've only seen a quarter of an inch of rain in the past two months at Camp Mabry. Combined lake storage now down to 45%. Your forecast with higher rain chances coming up. Well, it's the opening week for high school football, and at House Park, it's the annual neighborhood showdown between Anderson and McCallum. And Roger Wallace is live for our 14th season of high school football on KBVO, and this is always a really fun way, Raj, to start this off. Yeah, because you get the rivalry game right off the bat. Good evening to you, Jennifer and uh, Dan. A few miles in northwest Austin, and for the 20. Second time, it's the Taco Shack Bowl. They played over 50 years, but now they have the name to it. And this morning, each school represented at their neighborhood Taco Shack. off to everyone that got up early our Noah growth John Kelly we're out there uh, this morning to cap off the uh, spirit competition Anderson if you're keeping score did win the spirit competition they also hold the trophy they won this one last year now one thing that makes a great rivalry is when it's not 
decided. It's not. It's 11-10 Anderson in the 21 Taco Shack Bowls. In fact, no team has won more than three in a row. So, Anderson and McCallum tonight, 7.30. A few precautions for this heat. They are going to take longer breaks between quarters, and they will have a water break in between each quarter. So, at about the six-minute mark of each quarter, they'll extra water break and uh, hopefully everybody will stay safe it is a sellout guys it's going to be packed here at this uh, venerable stadium on the outskirts of downtown austin jennifer daniel and now the bad guy david <laughs> <laughs> he's upset because it's uh, oh 103 goodness. degrees right now yeah. on that field oh my yeah. god but it's good that they're taking those yeah. precautions though it's to very protect smart. students. Yeah. yeah and we do have a little bit of heat relief on the horizon next week so we're actually talking about a cool front which is something that sometimes we can't buy during the month of august let me take you outside where skies are partly cloudy you can see it's a little hazy and very hot 104 on the downtown austin austonian weather cam temperatures elsewhere pretty much in the triple digits area wide it's even a 105 out in Giddings and LaGrange. Sometimes your temperatures are lower with the higher humidity on the coastal plains, just below 100 in the southern hill country. But you factor in the humidity, especially from Austin eastward, it feels pretty rough. 106 is the heat index in town. Feels like 108, 109 in San Marcos and Caldwell counties. This is why the heat advisory has now been extended into the hill country and a more serious excessive heat warning. Typically, we only get a couple of these a year. We've had more than 20 this summer. It's in effect for Austin, including for House Park until 9 p.m. tonight and again during the heat of the day tomorrow. I will expect those to be issued this weekend as well. The good news is we've got a little chance of rain every day starting right now. There's no rain really in our area yet, but east of Highway 77 out toward College Station, a couple isolated showers are trying to make their way here. This is moving westward because it's on the southern periphery of this high pressure, which has a clockwise rotation to it, as this high pressure not only sits to our north, but actually departs the area over the next few days. This is going to allow the daily rain chance to get even higher. Next week, as the high pressure shrinks and contracts over the four corners, that may actually allow a cool front to slide in. I'll be very clear, it won't rain where you are every day for the next week, but it will rain somewhere across our 15 counties. So hopefully over the next week, you get hit by one of these, maybe one or two days out of the next seven. A few hundreds to up to a half of an inch of rain currently expected, but it'll come, you know, not really all at once. So let me show you how this plays out. New data coming in just now at 5 p.m. A few very isolated showers trying to make it to Austin by sundown tonight. But after sundown, these fade very quickly. These are just driven by the heat and humidity of the day. Tomorrow, though, with the high pressure moving a little farther away, a slightly higher coverage of afternoon clouds and now rain chances up to 20%. Maybe one of these popping up right over Austin. Wouldn't that be nice tomorrow evening at 7 p.m.? We'll kind of rinse and repeat this pattern through the coming weekend. Even with the daily isolated rain chance, it's going to be very hot tomorrow through the weekend, up to 107 on Sunday. But look at this, a 7-degree drop in temperatures. That's a cool front by definition, even if we still end up near 100 for several days next week behind it. In the tropics, as we first warned you might happen yesterday, we have a new disturbance, which the Hurricane Center is watching, drifting northward toward the Yucatan Peninsula and the eastern Gulf. There's a high likelihood all of a sudden of development over the next week, but all of our indications are that a tropical storm, maybe even a low-end hurricane, would be moving eastward next weekend toward Florida as opposed to westward toward Texas. Not expecting any impact locally from this at this time, but of course it is still early, so stay with us for updates. Tonight, light south winds, mostly clear skies with a record tying warm low. Tomorrow, we may set a record high because the daily record is a little bit lower than some other days. 105 from back in 1924, we're expecting 106 with a few isolated late day storms.
Rain chances pretty slim over the next couple days, but they go up to 30% on Sunday. 40% chance of scattered storms with the front Monday and Tuesday. And I know it won't be cold, but the humidity will drop. And hey, 99, 100 degrees, that's better than we have been for most of the last two months. We'll enjoy that slightly cooler air next week. Hey, remember, Clear the Shelters is going down this Saturday. I want you to make plans to join us. It's our big pet adoption event. This is the ninth year that we've done it, and I'm so excited to be a part of it. KXAN is teaming up with local animal shelters to raise money and promote pet adoptions. I'll be out in East Austin at the Austin Animal Center this Saturday. So come on by, beat the heat, come early, and more importantly, let's get you and your family a new furry friend and help clear the shelters. All right, David, thank you. Coming up, our sit down with Austin's Mayor Kirk Watson, what he's saying about the power of disaster declarations. Right now, more than a decade after a nuclear plant disaster, Japan releasing treated radioactive water into the ocean. Is it safe? And the notorious BTK serial killer now a suspect in more murders on Nightly News. Last week, Travis County and the city of Austin issued a disaster declaration to address record-breaking heat and the potential for wildfires. And today, we did ask Austin Mayor Kirk Watson what power this declaration gives him. Now, according to Mayor Watson, the city ranks sixth in the nation in the number of homes at risk of wildfire. Now, the top five cities are in California. He says once the declaration, though, is ratified by city council, this allows for faster reaction and response if disaster occurs. You don't have to take things back to the council and set a council meeting, have it posted, do that. The mayor is in a position to make specific decisions at the time. It also puts us in a good place 